Welcome back for another episode of Pro Football Network's premier fantasy football podcast. Uh, once again, I'm your host, BJ Rudell. With me, as always, is fantasy analyst Jason Katz, better known as Katz. And we're going to talk today about uh, kind of taking a step back from the free agency period and examine a few players uh, who uh, whose moves this offseason uh, might have had the biggest impact either on them or on teammates. Um, we are looking at fantasy impact. We know a lot of you are NFL fans, but if you're listening to this podcast, we know you are also fantasy fans because this is a fantasy podcast. So everything here is actionable insights on fantasy values of real players. With that, Katz, throwing it to you, who's a player who jumps out at you, big value shift of some kind going into 2022 based on the offseason. I'm going to stray away from the more obvious ones. I know you may have them in, in your lists. We, we, we did not go over this list ahead of time, but I'm not here to talk about like, oh, Tyreek Hill's bad for Jalen Waddell or Russell Wilson's good for Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy. I'm looking to uh, so maybe more under the radar winners here. And one Fantastic. of my favorite winners is Michael Pittman. Wow. I, I Yeah. Love I it. really I really like the Matt Ryan move for Michael Pittman. And now I'm not saying that Going from Carson Wentz to Matt Ryan is going to turn the Colts from a borderline playoff team into a Super Bowl contender. I'm not even saying that Matt Ryan will be noticeably better than Wentz from a real-life perspective or even a fantasy perspective. What we do know about Matt Ryan is he always produces wide receiver ones, or at least his wide receiver one produces numbers. From 2008 to 2012, Roddy White averaged 96 receptions for 1,314 receiving yards. From 2014 to 2019, Julio Jones averaged 103 receptions for 1,564 yards. I know you're probably thinking, wait a minute. That was 08 to 12. That was 14 to 19. Where was 2013? That was just Harry Douglas filling in for an injured Julio Jones, catching 85 passes for 1,067 yards as Matt Ryan's wide receiver one. And I in 2020, remember, I did not remember Harry Douglas. So thank you for that. Yeah, I, that, that's the thing. Even Harry Douglas was was a... I'm not going to say a fantasy wide receiver one, but he was a productive wide receiver for Matt Ryan. And then in 2020, Calvin Ridley, 90 for 1374. And last year, Russell Gage had his moments. So the point is, when Matt Ryan has a wide receiver one, that guy is going to produce. And Michael Pittman is legitimately talented. He had 1,000 receiving yards last year and 88 catches. And I'm really excited about his upside for this season. I think that a 100-catch, 1,400-plus-yard season is within his range of outcomes. Wow. Wow. Well, that's, uh, uh, I think that is highly realistic. I was expecting the Colts to grab uh, a, a Juju Smith-Schuster type uh, uh, potential impact receiver, and uh, it, uh, it hasn't really happened. And so uh, it leaves the door wide open for someone like Pittman to just absorb a big, uh, sophomore year leap. Um, and uh, I'm right there with you. I think he's probably, uh, what do you think, top 24 pretty comfortably going into this season? Uh, yeah, I think he's definitely top 24. And I, I think that the parallel I'm going to draw is to one of my favorite guys from last season, which was Deontay Johnson, in that he was being drafted in that mid to low wide receiver two range. And right. he had wide receiver one upside. And I think that's exactly what we have with Pittman here because we have what we love to see in any sort of wide receiver. We have a stationary quarterback does not run. 
So he's, he's going to be passing the ball. We're not going to lose any targets to our quarterback scrambling. We have a consolidated target share. The Colts may draft a receiver, but it doesn't matter because Michael Pittman is going to be the unquestioned like alpha target hog here. Behind him right now, what do we have? We have Paris Campbell can't stay on the field. They got a tight end in Mo Ali Cox. Even Jack Doyle retired. Um, I don't know if T.Y. Hilton's coming back. Even if he does at this point, he's he's not exactly the most relevant player. It's it's just Michael Pittman. Right. And they'll probably they draft someone as their as their number two of the future or something like that. Right. I completely agree. They didn't bring in anybody in free agency. So it, it's just Pittman. So I'm really excited about him for this upcoming season. Uh BJ, who's the first guy on your list? Oh my gosh. Well, and and what Kat said earlier is absolutely true. Uh, we don't talk about this beforehand. We like to keep things fresh. Uh, we we prefer not to talk to each other at all, except during these podcasts, which keeps things very fresh. And uh, uh, not entirely, but uh, I I'm pivoting actually right now based on your uh, response because I had going into this a whole bunch of uh, you know popular players, and I might just pull one of them out later. But I'm going to go with uh, Naheem Hines. Uh, and, uh, he is someone who I've been pushing, uh, in dynasty, uh, since the end of the, uh, uh, year, really since the Colts didn't make the playoffs and I'm uh, yelling at my TV saying, why isn't Hines a bigger part of, of this very, very one dimensional offense, um, that they rode Jonathan Taylor into the ground. Um, almost, he's still only 23. He's got plenty of years to go, but it is worrying that they, especially in the second half of the season, starting around week eight, week nine, um, they just decided let's give them 25, 30 touches a game uh, at certain points. And let's just ignore the fact that we've got a guy who can catch 50, 60 balls in a season and be a playmaker um, and, and, and take some pressure off of Jonathan Taylor. I love the fact that the Colts upgraded at running back and didn't add a good receiver, which makes Hines a stronger number three offensive option on that team. Uh, I love the way Matt Ryan worked with Cordero Patterson last year. I think Hines is arguably as talented at this stage of their respective careers as Patterson, uh, different skill set, but still incredibly talented. I think Hines, if used properly, could be a 50 catch, 750 yard guy with about four or five touchdowns in that offense, which would make him an instant uh, probably I'd, I'm not doing the math here, but you know, RB three, RB four, maybe closer to RB three, which if you can get a guy like that, where if Jonathan Taylor gets hurt, he doubles as kind of a pseudo handcuff. I think he is a huge winner in this off season because there's already been buzz in the last few weeks that the coaching staff wants to get Hines more involved, which is great. The key though is, is there going to be an opening for him to shine? And with only Michael Pittman and Jonathan Taylor as the major guys in that offense, Hines is now one of my favorite undervalued running backs heading into 2022. I, I wonder if the Colts will draft another running back and maybe like third round or day day three. I hope not. I mean, when you when you spend a second round pick on Jonathan Taylor and he's as good as he is, you don't really need anybody else. And I do think that Hines is a bit underutilized. He is an excellent receiver, and he's he's explosive. He's shifty. They would be well served to utilize him in the passing game, maybe like in the slot a little bit. I mean, we've seen games where they design plays for him, and it works. Uh, we had a, a couple last season, even, even later on, after Taylor had already established that he's the guy. There was the game against the Jets 
where Hines, uh, he ran 13 routes. He ended up with four catches, 108 total yards, and a touchdown. That's the type of production mm-hmm. that he's capable of in, in, in the right spot. Now, can, can that turn into a consistently useful fantasy asset? I'm not sure, but there is. <laughs> That's your polite way of saying we will agree to disagree, but I see where you're coming from. Yeah, I mean, for lack of a better term, yes, you, you kind of nailed it. I don't see an you know, RB2 in Naheem Hines' future as long as Jonathan Taylor is healthy. At the same time, though, Naheem Hines is probably going to be free in fantasy drafts. We're talking the guy that's going to be drafted outside the top 36, double-digit rounds. There's at least plausible upside there. And when you when you get into those later rounds, I mean, anything after like round like, like six or seven, more than half those guys are getting dropped by like week four or five anyway, probably sooner. So you're just trying to, you're just hoping for upside. And Naheem Hines, at least, at least there's something there. So I, I'll give you that. <laughs> and, and I'm not a big fan of looking at a whole, you know, course of somebody's career to assess fantasy value. But if you were to tell me there was a guy who averaged about close to 700 yards total in a season, averaged four touchdowns, um, and averaged uh, about uh, 52 catches in the in his four seasons and he's 25, and he plays with the Colts, I would think that's a, oh, you know, that's a guy who you want to target. His yards per carry has increased every single season. It's just, in a, it, he was on a trajectory, an upward trajectory of usage, see, basically throughout during his career. And then last year, despite the fact that he had his best season in terms of on the ground, he ran for almost five yards a carry, he was just criminally underutilized. I don't use that word criminally. Uh, uh, very often in a fantasy realm, but I think that this is a case where I, uh, the Colts, if they had used Taylor slightly differently and not wasted him for the last game, I mean, he was on his, it, it looked like he was on his last leg and then he turned it on the second half, but the game was already almost decided, but he was, his yards per carry had dropped in the final weeks of the season and they didn't go enough to Hines to support Taylor. I think they've learned their lesson. And so I'm going with that. I don't want to repeat myself too much. Uh, but just to say that if you look at Heinz's numbers, it's hard to imagine him doing worse this next year, and that makes him intriguing. Uh, Katz, throwing it to you, who else do you have? And now I've got to rack my brain about under-the-radar guys that I that I think of uh, whose value has changed significantly this offseason. Who do you got? All right, well, we started with two winners. We're going to go on the other side. We're going to go with, I would say, my biggest loser of the 2022 free agency trade craziness period. And that is Hunter Renfro last season. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Last season, Hunter Renfro averaged 15.4 PPR points per game. He was the wide receiver 15 uh, based on average points per game, minimum eight games played. Now he was obviously never doing that again. No one was projecting him for the same numbers this season, but I really still liked him. I, I thought that, the initial reaction to him would be he'll never do that again. And fantasy managers would just bury him in rankings back to where he was before last season, possibly as low as like wide receiver, like 36 ish in, in that area. I was still prepared to rank him as like a low wide receiver too. And I thought there would be value there, but Devontae Adams, that trade, that just completely vaporizes yeah. Renfro's fantasy value. All those design shorter routes get open quickly. Devontae Adams, red zone, Devontae Adams, basically Adams does everything Renfro does. And more, and he does it all better. And there's also Darren Waller. Uh, Renfro will have his games. I don't think he's going to suddenly go to a guy who's getting 90 targets a year. But we're talking about somebody who 
was his clear number one receiver on his team last year. 128 targets, played every game. 103 receptions for 1,038 yards. Unfortunately, I think we're going to cut that by maybe 25%. And we're looking at a guy that's selectively useful in fantasy, worth being drafted for sure, but I probably won't have him in my top 36 anymore. Yeah, that's a good call. Um, uh, it, it, it is, uh, it's going to be really exciting to see um, the kind of uh, offense that the AFC West is going to produce. I run some numbers. I tweeted it out a few weeks ago, um, and I can't remember all the numbers, but basically it's like uh, there's nine, I think there's nine receivers right now in the AFC West who've all had 1,000-yard seasons. Uh, and they've had a combined four thousand yard seasons. Only one of them is uh, thirty or older. The rest are all in their twenties. So it is a frightening amount of talent. And by the way, two of those uh, uh, two seasons I didn't count were Devonte Adams. He had like nine hundred and ninety something yards in two seasons. He didn't quite get a thousand, so I couldn't count those. But I mean, by the end of the season, it's going to be. 34 to 36 combined, you know, thousand yard seasons between all the guys in the AFC West. And it's incredible to think what the Raiders have that their number one receiver with a healthy Waller and with Devontae Adams could very well be the number four offensive option um, behind Josh Jacobs as well in 2022. It's a bizarre turn of events. And for those who, uh, you know, were, were sitting pretty grabbing Renfro off waivers in some cases, or in dynasty leagues, getting them on the cheap. Uh, it, it's this is an example of why if you've got a guy who's worth a lot on a team that really wants to win, uh, that guy better be one of the best in the league, or else they're going to find someone who's better. Um, and that's what happened with the Raiders. Um, I well, you, you've uh, you've put me on the spot here uh, with uh, um, you know with a, a loser and. Uh, I, I think I might go one more winner uh, before I go into loser mode because uh, there's a there's a, a ton of guys to uh, to go over. But uh, you know what? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna pivot to loser. I'm gonna try to stick with it. Somebody jumped out at me, and I think it's gonna be. This might sound a little controversial, but I might go with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And the reason is, and we don't yet know Jarek McKinnon's status. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, he, he could, in fact, stay. Um, but they signed Ronald Jones, and Ronald Jones is seen by a lot of people as kind of a throwaway at this point. Um, I don't see Ronald Jones as a throwaway. I see the Ronald Jones, who ran better than Leonard Fournette in 2020, uh, led all running backs in yards after contact. Um, that's all running backs in 2020. Ronald Jones entered 2021 as a better-ranked fantasy uh, you know, better ADP than Leonard Fournette. Um, and you you rolled the dice in last year's draft between Fournette and Jones. Which guy was it going to be? Did it depend on the week? Well, Fournette had it. They, they stayed with him, and he ended up to be the right call um, in terms of what he was able to do on the field. And it's hard for a running back to play at a high level when uh, they're squeezed out of a job that they probably thought they should have earned. And now going to Kansas City, um, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire has not earned a bell cow role by any stretch. And in fact, if he becomes more of a 10-touch guy and Jones becomes more of a 15-touch guy, 
uh, in an offense without Tyreek Hill, that is an, that's an entirely reasonable expectation if Jones gets back to the level he played at in 2020. So I think I think Clyde Edwards Hilaire is in this really precarious situation. Uh, you know, Daryl Williams uh, looking to you know head out, Jerick McKinnon might head out, but it's still not clear that Clyde Edwards Hilaire is the answer. He very well might not be. And uh, Ronald Jones getting added to that backfield creates greater risk than I think people are going to fully appreciate until we get into the first few weeks of the season, where it could be as simple as by week four, um, they go with the hot hand instead of just assuming that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is the starter. Kat's thoughts? I simultaneously agree and disagree on this because on the one hand, I completely agree that Ronald Jones could outplay Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and end up being just that, that hot hand. And we've seen that Andy Reid is not afraid to put the, the best running back on the field, whoever that happens to be. We've seen Darrell Williams do it. And we've seen it with Jarek McKinnon. Yep. Ronald before Jones. That, Damien Williams before that, Spencer Ware. I mean, it was a, it was a, every year with a different starting running back going back to Kareem Hunt. That's 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 true. Yep. So I don't think there's any sort of allegiance that he has to CEH, even though he was drafted in the first round to be their running back of the future. If it doesn't work out, he'll put the guy who's playing the best on the field. That could end up being Ronald Jones. At the same time, I don't think Ronald Jones is all that talented. And I'm not sure if Ronald Jones could necessarily push CEH. And I, I think for CEH, it's you call him a loser because, yes, Ronald Jones could take his job. At the same time, though, on the list of running backs that could have been signed to play behind CEH, Ronald Jones is probably best-case scenario for him in terms of who he's most likely to hold off. Like If it was Melvin Gordon, for example, I, I would just – I'd. I'd flip them in my rankings right away, for at least for 2022. I think Melvin Gordon, yeah. right now, 29-year-old Melvin Gordon is better than Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. At, at the same time, it could have been, it could, it could have been someone who was, who was a lot worse. But it wasn't. It was Ronald Jones, and it's the type of guy that CEH can hold off. But also, like you said, it could, it could, it could end up not going. I know I kind of repeated myself a few times, but there's, there's a lot of different ways it, it can go. And for, for CEH, his value really depends on how much you believe in his talent. Yeah, that's a, a great point. Is he, is he the guy that uh, meets the hype uh, that everyone had for him after he was drafted or that he briefly when they stuck with him and he, he proved that, uh, that he could you know steady the ship? Uh, or is he the guy who's going to get poached near the goal line? Um, because they just don't trust him or, or they don't see him in that role. Um, I, and, I, and I'm going to disagree slightly with, with Jones. I do think Jones gets a, a big knock for some good reasons, but some reasons that I don't entirely agree with. I think he's um, he is uh, he's a he's the type of running back that I think goes under the radar because um, he, when when a running back loses a starting job, or if not loses a starting job, isn't able to capture a starting job. I think there's a sense of he's probably not good enough. And I'm not saying you, sir, you're saying that. But with Ronald Jones, he's still only 24. He's averaged four and a half yards a carry for his career. He's shown that he can be a, 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 you know, a good receiving back when given the opportunity. He just hasn't been given a lot of opportunity. Um, and he still has the pedigree as a – 
you know, as a guy who is supposed to be a franchise running back, this is a guy who is not yet a bust. This is one of those cir circumstances now where, where if uh, I'll put it this way, if Melvin Gordon had gone to the Chiefs, I agree with you. Gordon probably would have been atop that depth chart at some point. At the same time, I think that Gordon, we already know kind of what Gordon's peak is, what his top line is at his age. And with Jones, I don't think we appreciate his top line. What he did in 2020 was phenomenal. I mean, he only had about uh, like barely over 200 touches. Um, and he if if he had gotten a full workload that season just based on what he did he would have entered the 2021 season as a top 10 running back it's just that wasn't the role that was expected of him uh especially playing alongside Hunter Fournette so I think that the what I'm looking at in terms of Clyde Edwards Hilaire the risk involved is that people are going to assume that this is Edward Hilaire, Hilaire's backfield I think uh value is going to be inflated as a result of that and I think the risk is significant because it's not a crafty veteran. It's someone who is still in the peak of his career, who is probably better than we're giving him credit for. That's my two cents. And now the third round cats wild card. Um, you can go uh, underperformer or, you know, basically bad news or good news, uh, free agent uh, move who you got. And I've got someone in mind right now uh, that I can't wait to share, but I want to hear what you have to say. Well, I'm typically too negative when it comes to players in general. I'm more excited to talk about why a player won't be good than will be good. So I, so I decided to go with two winners and one loser. So we're going with another winner, and we're going Jamison Crowder. Wow. Yeah. Big, big on Jamison Crowder uh, this time around. Another slot guy, similar to Renfro. Uh, Crowder is 29 years old, but I think he's still good at football. He is poised to start in three receiver sets on a Bills team that runs more four receiver sets than any other team in the NFL except for the Arizona Cardinals. And the Bills also run three receiver sets 71% of the time. Crowder is going to be on the field a lot. We got Diggs on the outside, Gabriel Davis opposite him, and Crowder in the slot. Sorry, Isaiah McKenzie. I, I really like Isaiah McKenzie, but he keeps getting pushed down the depth chart by free agent signings and trades and whatnot. In 2020, 31-year-old Cole Beasley, who is not exactly uh, an athletic specimen, averaged 13.5 PPR points per game. He finished as a low wide receiver three. That feels very attainable for Crowder. And dare I call that Jamison Crowder's floor for 2022. That is impressive. Crowder is one of those sneaky guys who um, consistently, I mean, he is a Cole Beasley-like uh, asset. Um, he's always been a pretty good pass catcher. He's always been kind of a, a reliable, he can be a high volume receiver. He can be a number two receiver. He can even be a number three. Um, it really, he, he can fit into in, at his stage of his career, he can fit in whatever role. So there's not going to be this shock value of him going to a team where Stefan Diggs is top to peck in order and Gabriel Davis and even Dawson Knox. Crowder's going to get his, and I, I do like that call. I was Crowder wasn't even on my radar right now at this stage of the offseason, and you just put him there. I'm going to name two right here. I'm going to go positive and not positive. I won't say negative, um, and, and I'll do it very quickly. The, the guy who – one of the biggest losers of the offseason is Joshua Palmer. Um, Chargers re-signed Mike Williams, and Palmer 
who was all set to be a starter opposite Keenan Allen for the next several years um, is now going to be the number three, unless something changes for the next several years. Um, he was, I think, a third round pick and uh, uh, was probably poised to be fantasy relevant if Mike Williams had gone elsewhere. Palmer probably would have been in that, you know, looking at him as an 800 to 900 yard guy um, this season playing alongside Keenan Allen and maybe even a little more upward mobility because that offense is still somewhat top heavy if you take Mike Williams out of it. Um, and, you know, when you get past Eckler and Keenan, there's there's not a lot there. And it, the the if, if you in, you're in a deep dynasty league and you invested in Palmer, you're now sitting on a guy who probably will be 25, 26 years old before he really gets a chance to start regularly. It's a long time to wait. So... Uh, on the flip side, uh, I would say Robert Woods is a huge winner. Um, and this is a guy, there's only five um, uh, wideouts who have averaged 15 plus PPR fantasy points in each of the last four seasons. And Robert Woods is one of them. Uh, he is still in the prime of his career. He's recovering from an ACL tear. Uh, he is expected to be back for July. Uh not soon enough for some. I think it creates a little bit of anxiety, especially going to the team. But what a perfect landing spot. And when I say perfect, I mean he's the true number two playing behind A.J. Brown and essentially Derrick Henry. And a lot of people will say, well, Ryan Tannehill can't get him the ball. You know, you know Ryan Tannehill, they had a new offensive uh, uh, coordinator. Um, that whole offense broke down last year. Derrick Henry is out for half the year. Adrian Brown was hurt. Julio Jones was hurt. Tannehill was adjusting. It was a mess. I think this year, uh, with a full offseason to prepare uh, and a healthy AJ Brown and Robert Woods back, could see a guy who easily could get back to the you know 12, 13, 14 points, fantasy points per game. And I say easily, not to sound like that's a hot take. I'm saying this is a guy who played alongside Cooper Cup. Uh, and at times, Brandon Cooks, uh, not too shabby, getting passes thrown primarily uh, by Jared Goff. And he was still getting 15-plus fantasy points a game. Now, you could say that was because of Sean McVay's offense. I prefer to say it was because Robert Woods is a really good receiver um, who happened to find ways to uh, make plays in spite of the fact that he had a subpar quarterback and a crowded receiving core frequently. In Tennessee, he can be just as good. And I think uh, if he had landed in 20 other spots, it would have been tough sledding to carve out a role. I think in this slot, it is perfect for him to rebuild his career and to be a great fantasy asset. Kat, any final thoughts on, on my positive and less positive uh, assessment? I'm very torn on Woods because I'm a big fan of Robert Woods, the player, and have been for is basically his entire tenure with the Rams at this point. And he's been undervalued for the better part of the last half decade. And he was under, he was underutilized in Buffalo before he went to the Rams. At the same time, going to Tennessee, it's tricky because yes, he has a clear path to playing time and getting targets and being a, being a wide receiver too. There's He's not going to be competing with anybody. There is nobody better than him on that depth chart except for A.J. Brown. That's the good. Bad news is, on the Titans with Ryan Tannehill, the guy who attempted 531 passes last season, 
who threw for under 4,000 yards, who hasn't thrown for over 4,000 yards since 2015. Uh, it's it's just it, I'm I'm concerned that their volume just won't be there for Woods to produce the way we want him to, the way we know he can produce. Now, unlike Julio Jones last year, if AJ Brown were to get hurt again, Woods is still capable of being that primary guy if asked. He could handle ten targets a game. Julio Jones at his age cannot anymore. Woods can. So there's upside there in the event of an AJ Brown injury, and AJ Brown has struggled with injury. During his during his short career so far, but I'm I'm not as bullish on Woods coming off the torn ACL, switching teams at age 30 than I would be if he didn't tear his ACL and were with a better quarterback. I hear you. I'm gonna I'm gonna have one final word, if you don't mind. Go back to 2020 when Ryan Tannehill threw a grand total of 481 pass attempts. I don't I don't have it in front of me whether it was whether the Titans were bottom in the league in pass attempts in 2020. They were. If they weren't, they were close to it. I know that their opponents uh, had 630 pass attempts. So the disparity was was huge. And that was the year that Derrick Henry rushed for over 2,000 yards. Like this was, you know, an anomalous situation, that they had a heavy running game not a lot of passing. AJ Brown got 1,075 yards on 70 catches. Corey Davis was number two with 984 yards and 65 catches. Jonu Smith and Anthony Ferkser were number three and four. They've downgraded at tight end. Granted, they got Austin Hooper. We'll see if they use Austin Hooper the way Matt Ryan and the Falcons did, uh, you know, more than three years ago, two years ago. Um, but this was a team that was essentially the one of the worst situations to be a receiver in and yet you had two fantasy relevant receivers on that team and i think i would take robert woods over Corey davis and i would take uh uh, aj brown on par with aj brown so the point is (laughs) i think that at no worst if you're looking at a baseline for what robert woods could do i would see what Corey davis did in 2020 as a baseline if everything plays horribly for the passing game and I, and I will give you the ultimate final word, Cats, to prove me wrong or, or, or push back if, if you have anything to push back on. I, I mean, if, if what you're looking at for Robert Woods is to be a wide receiver three in fantasy, yeah, I think he can do that for sure. But I think that this guy who was a rock-solid wide receiver two for the better part of the last four years, I don't think that guy's coming back. Well, that, that uh, those are serious words, and uh, and I will let you have the uh, the final word. I will say, uh, yeah, the Titans were number three, third lowest in pass attempts uh, that year. Um, so I, I just took the last word back, but it wasn't anything uh, at your expense, Katz. Um, again, big thank you to Jason Katz, better known as Katz. I'm BJ Riddell, Pro Football Network. You can find us at profootballnetwork.com or anywhere else where you get your fantasy information. And we look forward to seeing you tomorrow.